Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. All right, as you grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 tonight. Psalm 46. You know, I said a few weeks ago that one could make an argument that history is nothing more than a series of wars and rumors of wars. Therefore, it's important for us in the fallen world here to have a shelter, to have a place of safety for us to run to. Do you have a place of shelter like that? Do you just, I mean, just physically speaking, I know it's springtime coming, you know, few storms come here and there. Do you all have a plan? Do you have a place to go if a storm were to come at your house? Where would you go? What would you do? Call who? Me. <laughs> yeah, come on, Brother Gary. Come jump over here. Yeah. Where else? What, what, other than me, because I won't do you much good. I won't do you much good. Where would you go? Your front closet? Under the stairs. That's a good spot. Gene sacrificed, didn't you? There you go. He tried, and you, you pushed him out, didn't you? <laughs> he got room for everybody in here. Where would you go? Anybody got, a, uh, anybody got a basement they get into? Yeah, good. That's important to have. I've never lived in a house with a basement. And so, yeah, I've never, ever, ever lived in a house with a basement. Um, although the house I grew up in had a, had a pretty good crawl space in it, you know, so getting that. Um, you know, in, in our house there, where we live... Uh, you know, there, there's only one room that it doesn't have an outside wall on it, and that's our little bitty half bathroom there in the hallway. And we've all seven of us gotten in that thing. They tried to kick me out, Deborah, but I wouldn't let them. And so, <laughs> Gene, I put up a fight. I said, No, no, I'm coming in with y'all. And so, uh, but we need a plan, right? We need a plan for shelter. We all need shelter. And in some instances, you need something more than a shelter, you need a fortress. I mean, you think about shelter, you think of nice, uh, you know, a nice little place to get into and you know, sort of small and just, enough, just room enough for you in there. But when I say the word fortress, fortress, all of a sudden it gets bigger in your brain, doesn't it? There are all sorts of fortresses in history. I'm going to see if you can name some of them here. Check out this one here. Anybody know what this one is? It's really, really famous. It's in England. It's right. Not Buckingham. Windsor, that's right. That is Windsor Castle. Windsor Castle was originally built to oversee a strategically important place on the River Thames there during the Norman dominance. And it's, of course, been built onto and all these things. The Queen of England, uh, she, she, she's there quite often and all that stuff. But it survived a lot of wars. I mean, it is a, it's been a good fortress over the years. It's been a really good fortress over the years. How about this one here? This one probably... I bet nobody, and this isn't a great picture of it. There's a, there's a better picture of that up there. Anybody know? That is the Citadel of Aleppo in Syria. It's the castle in Aleppo situated in northern Syria. It's one of the largest and oldest castles in the world. The Citadel dates back to at least the middle um, of like 
uh, of like 300 B.C. or maybe even before then. I mean, it just goes way, way back. The, the, the Greeks, the Byzantines, the Ayyubids, the Mamluks, they were some of the civilizations that occupied that throughout history. And uh, it's believed that the prophet Abraham or, or Father Abraham milked his sheep on the Citadel Hill right there. Some people believe that, all right? How about this one here? Again, this one is not that well known. But when I think of a fortress, oh my goodness. Like, it doesn't get much better than that right there. That one there, I don't even know how to pronounce this. I'm going to give it a shot. This is in India. It's Marangar. Marangar, I think is how you say it, okay? I'm not even going to spell it for you, okay? Marangar, all right? It's located in the Indian state of Rajasthan in the city of Jodhpur, uh, built in the year 1459. Today, it's one of the most popular tourist attractions you might imagine. It was built on a hill 122 meters high, and it's enclosed by colossal walls on every side. That is a fortress. How about this one? Maybe you've been to this one. Anybody ever been to that one? It's in Germany. No one? All right, no one? All right, all right. That is Konigstein. All right, Konigstein, uh, also known as the Saxon Bastille, situated again on a hilltop near Dresden in Saxon, Switzerland, Germany, on the left bank of the River Elbe. One of the largest fortresses in Europe, okay? It sits on a plateau, um, uh, some parts over 400 years old. And in the middle of that thing, it has a 152 and a half meter deep well in it. So it's got a water source in it. I mean, it's got everything you need, right? Uh, Second deepest well in all of Europe. Finally is this one. Anybody ever been to that one? That's the Masada, yeah. You been? Yeah, good. So... That there, what did you think of that when you went to it? Mike, Michael, you said you went to it? It's really neat. Uh, it's a shame, you know, what happened. What happened? Well, all the people up there, which were 700 something zealots. Oh, yeah. Committed suicide rather than let the Romans take Okay, all right. Well, that indeed is the Masada um, on, that, on that rock plateau, southern district of Israel. Been around ancient times. Probably to, uh, it's probably survived due to its placement. I mean, you can see right there, it's on an isolated plateau, and the, the Judean desert is on one side, and the Dead Sea is on the other. Truly one of the greatest fortresses uh, ever, ever around. And uh, today it's Israel's most popular tourist attraction. So after looking at all those fortresses, what are some common things that you see? What make... What, what makes for a good fortress? Elevation. Elevation, yeah. All of them seem to be on a big hill. Why is that? See things. See things, that's right. If you have the high ground, you have the advantage, right? What else did you notice? Thick, tall walls. Thick, tall walls, that's right. I can't imagine how heavy, if you were to weigh one of those walls, what it would weigh. I mean, they're so thick, they're so big. Yeah. The only castle I've ever been to, I went to Blarney Castle uh, in Ireland, and uh, it's famous for turning upside down and kissing a rock for good luck. That's the only thing I remember, okay? And I didn't do it because you, you actually have to turn upside down over one of the walls, like way up there, and um, I'm smarter than that, and so I, <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, but nevertheless, so thick walls, and you can see all around there in those places, man, they had places for battle, didn't they? windows to shoot through. and I mean, they were designed to protect the people inside it. Did you know that God is likened to a fortress numerous times in Scripture? 
Over and over again, the Bible says that God is a fortress. And so we're continuing tonight in our series, Great Hymns of the Faith. We're going to sing a song tonight that reminds us of this truth about God.
Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, we rejoice in the truth of that song. God, there is security in you. And tonight, as we are reminded of that song and we're going to be pointed to Scripture, may we leave here knowing that you are a big God. Big God. And that nothing can touch you. Nothing can best you. Nothing can beat you. And because nothing can beat you, nothing can beat us. And so it's in Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen. So any idea who wrote that song? Martin Luther did. He didn't just write the lyrics. He also wrote the, the melody of that song. Author Tim Challies wrote this about the song. He said, based on Psalm 46, the hymn is a celebration of the sovereign power of God over all earthly and spiritual forces and the sure hope we have in him because of Christ. The hymn became closely associated with Luther himself as it embodied in its words and melody so much of the character of its author, bold, confident, defiant in the face of opposition. This association is symbolized in the monument to Luther at Wittenberg where the first line of the lyrics were engraved on the base. Music historian Lewis Benson, he said this of a mighty fortress is our God. He said, it was the Marseilla of the Reformation. It was sung at Augsburg during the Diet in all the churches of Saxony, often against the protest of the priest. It was sung in the streets and so heard comforted the hearts of Melanchthon, Jonas, Cruciger, as they entered Weimar uh, when banished from Wittenberg in 1547. It was sung by the poor Protestant immigrants uh, on their way into exile and by martyrs at their death. It is woven into the web of history, into the history of, of, of Reformation times, and it became the true national hymn of Protestant Germany. Man, I mean, it's, uh, it's just played an important part in, in our history, okay? Now, what do you think inspired Luther? What event do you think inspired Luther to write that? Could have been one of his trials that he had to face. Uh, could have been an impending attack from an enemy. Could have been those things. But most people, there, there are about seven um, documented theories out there of what inspired Luther to write this. But... But Benson, that, 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 that music historian, he concluded, along with several other historians, that the most likely story is that it was written in October 1527 as a plague was approaching. And when we read this one here, and we, we, we're thinking about like physical you know, enemies riding in on horses. We think about the devil doing all this stuff here. But in this instance right here, people were dying like crazy across Europe, and the plague was approaching Germany. And he was writing this to embolden the living and to comfort the dying. Let me ask you one question. Was there anything in that song that might cause you to be strong and courageous in the midst of death knocking on your front door? Of course there is. So let's turn to Psalm 46 tonight. The, the psalm that this hymn is, is based on, we're going to give it a read. Psalm 46, we're going to look at all 11 verses Psalm 46 says this, God 
is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Yeah, we thank you for the words of Luther, but but God, those are words from a man. God, we thank you for words straight from you here in Psalm 46 that would cause us to not be afraid in the midst of a world that is fearful, that is fearsome. God, I ask tonight that every heart here be bound up with confidence in you. It's in Christ's name we give you thanks. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, so tonight's takeaway, here's what I want you to walk away with tonight, is simply to do this, is to live courageously in the safety of Almighty God. Now, God does not want you to cower, right? God, we'll see here in a moment, God wants you to live courageously because, because he is with you, right? We're not Rambo, we're not Schwarzenegger or any of those guys we see in the movies growing up and all that stuff, right? Who are just real big, bad, brave dudes who they just run into to, to danger, they don't care, right? Well, it's not in us, right? It's in God that our hope is in. So if we're going to live courageously in the safety of Almighty God, we need to do three things that Psalm 46 here points us to. The first one is this. We have to acknowledge that we live in a dangerous world. This isn't news, right? We live in a very dangerous world. Turn on the news tonight, if you dare. I mean, my, my wife says, I, I can't even watch the news before I go to bed. It's too much. It's too dangerous, too scary. It's too much to take in all of the wickedness and evil in there. But Christians can often be seen as naive, as putting our heads in the sand, as pretending that everything's okay. Christians can often be seen as being gullible, right? Why? Because we want to believe the best. We want to see the good in people. We, we want to guard our hearts against cynicism and against distrust. But you know what? We, we, we should not pretend that the world is not dangerous, right? We don't, we don't, we don't want to live in fantasy land. 
We want to live in reality, and the reality is that there are fangs and claws and microbes and tornadoes and outlaws and demons and a whole host of things out to get you and out to get me. There are real enemies of God trying to take us out. Therefore, Jesus told us to face this dangerous world, not to hide from it, not to pretend like it doesn't exist, but to face it. He said this in Matthew 10, 16 through 25. Jesus gave this instruction to his disciples and by extension to us. He said, behold, Matthew 10, 16 through 25, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of what? Wolves. He's saying, open your eyes, get ready, guys. It's, I am sending you out not into safety, but into danger. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise. There's a wisdom there, right? That we understand what we're about to get into. That yes, we want to see the good in people, but we're also not stupid. Right? We're not gullible. We see things and, and God gives us discernment and all those things. We're to be wise as serpents. But we're not going to live like serpents, right? We're going to be innocent as doves. We're going to be in the wickedness, but set apart from the wickedness. Verse 17, beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're going to speak or what you're going to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Here's some more of that danger. Brother would deliver brother over to death, and father and the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town... Flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus says, it's dangerous, guys. And we have to recognize, we have to acknowledge that. We can't pretend like it's not. In fact, Psalm 46 begins with acknowledging the dangerous world we live in. Look at verse 46.1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very help in what? Trouble. Right? That's the context here. We wouldn't need help if everything was peachy, keen, fine, and dandy. Because there's trouble. God is a help. He's a refuge. Verse, 20, uh, verse 2 and 3 here says that the earth sometimes gives way. Mountains sometimes get moved into the heart of the sea. Waters sometimes roar and foam and flood and do all this stuff. And mountains tremble and shake. We saw that. I mean, it's maybe still be going on in, in, in Hawaii. I saw a picture last week of a guy playing golf. And he's in the middle of his swing with that great big old plume of volcanic ash coming up behind him. And I guess he said, I paid that green fee and I am not missing this round of golf, man. I have flown all the way to Hawaii. I, am, I don't care if there is a volcano. 
I'm going to play golf. Okay, He was not giving it up. So there's all of this going on here. Natural disaster, natural calamity, right? That's the word that I would use if, if, you, if you were to kind of put a, a theological term on natural disasters. When we think about issues in the world, I, I, we, I would call that calamity. Right? It's, not, it's not moral. It's just natural fallenness out there, the, 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 the outworkings of the curse of God on a fallen planet. Calamity. But there's not just calamity, there's true wicked, there's true moral evil. Verse 6, we see the nation's rage and the kingdom's totter. Right? One nation rises up and destroys the next. I mean, just think of the book of Daniel here, right? Israel is overtaken by Babylon, and Babylon is taken over by Medo-Persia, and Medo-Persia is overtaken by Greece, and Greece is overtaken by Rome, and so on and so forth until this day, right? We often forget that history, as I said earlier, is a series of wars and rumors of wars, right? Nations rise and nations fall. This is a dangerous world. Luther, in the first verse... Luther, in the first verse of the hymn, he, he points to the dangers of our ancient foe, the devil, who doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. We can talk about natural calamity. We can talk about moral wickedness, human wickedness. But then there's also those spiritual forces that Luther points to here. Right? The devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to eat you up. And they're real, right? The demonic forces are real. I don't know to what extent they're working and moving. Sometimes we give them more credit than they deserve. But nevertheless, sometimes we act like they're not around. Yet they are. They are. There in the third verse, Luther points out that in this world... With devils filled, threatens to undo us. So, beloved, make no mistake about it. Take off your rose-colored glasses because we live in a very dangerous world. But second, if we're going to live courageously in the safety of Almighty God, we must know that God is mightier and He is devoted to your well-being, right? Those two are very important. He is not just almighty, he is all-loving. You can imagine a sovereign who was wicked. We've seen that in history, right? Almighty is a terrible thing when it's connected to someone who is wicked. But our God is holy, right? His omnipotence is connected to his omnibenevolence. Look at verse 1 here again uh, of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You looking for help? You calling out? Don't call 911. Of course, call 911. But <laughs> while you're calling 911, call out to God. You see, trouble doesn't stand a chance against God. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says, The nations rage 
the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. I love this man. I love this. He utters his voice and the earth melts. I mean, this is the God that spoke creation into existence. So you better believe that he can speak the earth into destruction. (laughs) God is mightier than the mightiest. The Lord of hosts is with us. It continues in verse 7. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We say that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. We could add in here, he is the mightiest of the mighty. Luther points this out so well in verse 1. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills, what? Prevailing. He wins. Anybody know what a bulwark is? I had to look it up myself. A bulwark is basically like you saw on those castles. You mentioned the big, thick walls. I mean, that's kind of what a bulwark is. It's a great big wall, and sometimes they put a bulwark along a sea to keep the sea from coming in, right? So you can imagine a a, a bulwark would sometimes fail, right? You you, you think about when they would do, um, oh, I forget what it's called now, but where they would dig underneath the walls. You all know what I'm talking about? That was one of the ways they would lay seeds to a fortress, They would lay seeds to it by trying to dig the ground out from underneath it to destabilize the bulwark, the wall there, so that it would topple down. Or remember the Battle of Jericho. They had this big old fortress there in Jericho. They had bulwarks all around, right? But God, when that trumpet blew and the children of Israel yelled, the walls came tumbling down. God as a bulwark, as a wall of security, will never fail. He will always prevail. Not only is God mightier, but I said this a moment ago, this is really important. He is committed also to your well-being. Notice in verse 7, Psalm 46, verse 7. Psalm 46, verse 7, and we see it also in Psalm 46, verse 11. That second phrase, we'll talk about the the first phrase in a moment. But he calls himself the God of whom? Jacob. The God of Jacob. Do you know why he calls himself that? Because he is pointing out that he is a God of covenant. That he is a God who has fixed his love on a people. He is a God who has promised to bring you victory. He is a God who will not lose you or let you lose. In fact, while he protects you, he nourishes you. Look at verse 4 and 5. Psalm 46, verse 4 and 5. There's a river. We talked about that, the, 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 the fortress there in... Uh, I guess that was in Germany. No, that was in uh, the, the Indian one, right? Had that big old deep 150 meter well in it. 
Was that Germany? Okay, yeah, they're in Germany. That 150 meter deep, I don't even know how many feet that is. Again, I need to convert these things. 450 feet. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I knew it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And so 450 feet, that is a deep well. Because again, one of the, one of the ways that a fortress would be defeated is they would cut off the water supply. Can't do it there in Germany. You can't get down to right? it, it's there in the middle of it. And here it says this, right? There is a river whose streams, look at verse 4 and 5. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. While he's protecting you, he is nourishing you. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. So know, y'all, that God is mightier and he is devoted to your well-being. Finally tonight, if we're going to live courageously in the safety of Almighty God, we must refuse to let fear rule your life. Now, some of you, just in your constitution, in your personality, you are brave. I've been with you four four years now. In fact... Mother's Day was uh, my fourth anniversary with you all here at Eastwood, and thankful for those four years, and pray for many more. But you've heard enough stories, as I tell them myself, that I'm a big chicken. I'm just, <laughs> my dad always said, son, you shouldn't be afraid of anything. You're big enough to go bear hunting with a switch, he'd always say. <laughs> but I've always been a big chicken. In my constitution, I am fearful easily. And my son Samuel, man, he is just like me. Just like me, Sam, go out and get that. Daddy, it's dark out there. <laughs> and that's me, man. Christy's like, go out and get that. I'm like, honey, you go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe just I say that every now and then. I'm growing up. I'm growing up. <laughs> but anyway, we have to refuse to let fear rule our life. As you think about your life, What role does fear play? What has God called you to do, either in his revealed word, where it's like everybody's called to do this, or maybe even in sort of that inward call, like there's that specific thing that God has called you to do that is being held up because of fear. And in that, maybe it's not across the board in your life, but at least in that aspect, fear is winning. You and I, because we have an almighty God, must refuse to let fear rule your life. Someone might even define courage in that way, right? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting in the face of fear. Always remember when fear rises up, the battle belongs to the Lord. Look here at verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. This is one, I don't even have to read it. Right? You've got this one memorized. Be still. And what? Know that I am God. Stop running around scared. Stop running around Screaming that the sky is falling like Chicken Little, right? Be still and know that God is God. Do you know what that means for God to say, 
remember I am God. He is pointing out that he has no equal, that there is no one stronger, there is no one better, there is no one that can outdo him. He's the one who created the universe and sustains the universe and will one day usher in <coughs> the kingdom of God on earth. Look at verse 8 and 9. Psalm 46, 8 and 9 the psalmist invites us, come, behold the works of the Lord. Or this is what we need to do, guys, when fear creeps up. We got to turn and remember the works of God. Guys, that's why God is, that's one of the reasons anyway, why God has given us a Bible in narrative form. He could have just given us, you know, rules and do this and do that and, 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 and principles for how to live. But God said, my people are going to need to have proof. That in everyday life, that I'm a God who comes through for them. And so God gave a story after story of how he saves the day. Back to verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Guys, God is fighting for you. Again, verse 7, 11, God is called the Lord of what? The Lord of hosts. We sing there in the, in the song of Mighty Fortress and our God, Lord, Lord Sabaoth, his name, or something like that. <laughs> right, Lord Sabaoth, or Lord Sabaoth, or however you pronounce it, it's, it's said all sorts of different ways. But that's the Hebrew word there for the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of angelic armies. That's what that means. And he declares in verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. So guys, I say to you tonight, we have nothing to fear if God is on our side. In God, we have safety. In God, we win. Therefore, Luther says in verse 4, Luther wrote here in A Mighty Fortress, he wrote this, he said, The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, these earthly powers, the word abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Again, we, we, we don't have to live in fear, church. In fact, we should live courageously, right? When we talk about God being a mighty fortress, that is not calling you and me to hunker down and bunker down. We are to advance into the darkness. We are to live courageously, to take chances for the Lord. And what's the worst they could do to us? Kill us, right? But even if they kill us, we still win. Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what, church? Gain. That means even if they kill you, you win. 
So I say to you, no matter where you are on this earth, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. So my final prayer tonight is this. May we fear not in the fortress of Almighty God. And if you're here tonight and you've never ran to the fortress of God, you've never come under the protection of God by repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ, think about this for just a moment. God has promised to be a bulwark even against his own wrath that you have earned. Right? He, is, he will protect you even from the wrath that your sin deserves. And so he's a mighty fortress. We talk all the time about, man, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. And R.C. Sproul, so I loved how he said it. He said, Saved from what? And the answer is, from God's wrath. So even in that, if you are here tonight and you've yet to repent and believe in Jesus, I beg you, run to the safety that God has provided in Jesus Christ and be safe in the fortress of the Almighty. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. 
Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.